right, everybody. Big show today. We spent all yesterday talking about crypto. We're not done. We got our two favorite crypto fellas back for a crypto roundtable. Vinny Lingham and Sunny Madra joined to talk about the ETH merge, Martin Shkreli's new crypto project, how anybody can be rehabilitated as long as you don't have to trust them in the crypto universe. Gary Gensler's comments about compliance and regulation on exchanges and more. It's a great show. Tons of lessons and super interesting information and even some projects out there with some actual value. That's the thing we keep asking for. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Ravello. Looking to affordably scale your product development with global tech talent in U.S. time zones? Hire vetted remote developers in Latin America with Ravello. Get 20% off for the first three months at ravello.com twist. The Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub helps all founders build a better startup at a lower cost from day one. Open to anyone with an idea, you'll get up to $150,000 in Azure credits, technical advisory, access to mentors and experts, free dev tools, and so much more. There is no funding requirement and it only takes minutes to join. Sign up today at aka.ms slash this week in startups and user testing. With user testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective by seeing how they interact with your products, apps, or messaging. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash twist for a free trial. User testing, real human insight. All right, everybody, it's time for our crypto round table. This is the second time we're doing it. Last time Molly was on vacation, but she's back. So she'll be here for this great round table with Sandeep Madri, you can call him Sunny. He's the co founder of definitive intelligence, which lets users view on and off chain data to understand their web three user base. And of course, Vinny Lingham, co founder of civic, uh, the original uh, partner and investor in Solana, and his startup encrypts identity information on the blockchain. Welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks, Jason. Molly, Thanks great for having us again. Yeah, good to be on All with right. Molly this time. Yes. I know, I'm um, stoked. Welcome. Molly, you, you told me that Vinny handed you the bag on Solana. He liquidated his Solana to you. You bought $300 <laughs> worth of Solana and lost what 250 is, I drank a little too much of Chamath wine and then listened to Vinny for an hour and then went and spent $300 on Solana. So, How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for you? I'm oh, sure it's going to be fine. I'm a holder. It could Holy be worse. You, you could have bought Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> could have been worse. Hey, there you go. Well, there we have it, folks. There you go. Also, I'm obviously quite impressionable. So thank God we didn't talk about Bed Bath and Beyond. Anything could have happened. All right. Well, speaking <laughs> of scams uh, and bag holding, <laughs> Farmer Bro Martin Shkreli uh, has is out of jail. If you weren't following, you remember him. He was the most hated man on the internet for. I don't know, three months or something. He has a new Web3 project to create drug discovery software. It's called druglike.com. Seemed like a reasonable idea. I wanted to get everybody's perspective on if this is crazy or not. It's a computational chemistry software startup. And what he wants to do is take this very expensive software and uh, the resources it takes, you know, GPUs, I think, uh, and make it much cheaper for people to use. Here's 77 seconds of Shkreli on the Milk Road show from July talking about this new project, and I'll get your feedback after. If you're going to make great software, it's that's sort of independent of like what modality you use. So for me, 
Druglike's main goal is to make great computational chemistry software. If we can help solve the compute problem, great. You know, if we can't, it's still great computational chemistry software. Right. Like right now, there is no web-based comp chem software. So if you want computational chemistry, you have to call the company that makes it. You have to sign a license agreement. It has to get installed in your C drive. You are not getting any web access to anything. And you have to get trained, right? You have to like, this is whole like craziness. And it's not particularly user-friendly either. So we made software that we wish we could use as chemists and as drug developers when we were at those companies. So we're able to sort of get something that you can just up and get running. I mean, could you imagine if you needed a license agreement to get on Google? You know, it would be a disaster. And, and that's sort of the problem with CompChem is that you're shutting off 80 or 90% of users that could use your software, maybe more. On the flip side, you know, you are gating it to a Pfizer and a Merck that will sign enterprise license agreements of millions of dollars. So I think there's, there's sort of that sales model and there's our sales model. Obviously, um, you know, to some extent, I, I have no problem with sort of just uh, this becoming an open source software that's free to use and provide your own compute. I do think that compute challenge is something that we hope we can help on. We think there's some other sort of tools we could do, like democratizing the reward as well. Um, you may want to get a whole bunch of expensive compute for free. Well, why not give up a piece of your, you know, um, IP, for example, in, in return for that compute. So maybe I'm willing to provide my compute, but you got to give me half of the intellectual property. If you inevitably file a patent, maybe I can get half of that and I'll give you compute and that's a fair shake. So maybe no money has to change hands. What's your take on uh, this concept, uh, Sonny? AlphaFold, right, is something you guys spoke about in the all-in pod and, and it's kind of what it's done for society. And I kind of viewed this as a decentralized AlphaFold. So I thought the idea was actually quite strong and it's probably getting mixed up in, in Martin's background and everything that's happened there. But I, I thought the idea is quite powerful. And maybe I'll throw to Vinny because he's been a big fan of these decentralized compute um, resource plays that leverage the uh, you know blockchain and, and crypto economies to do it. And so I, I thought it was a really good idea, You know, make it available to everyone and, and uh, decentralize the compute for it. Vinny? So, I mean, I think we all know his reputation <laughs> and, and I, I would say- Can you my, or should you separate the <laughs> reputation from the content here? So if it wasn't a pre-mine, in other words, the network went live and anyone could add computer resources to the network and mine for the coins directly. And Martin Screlly and his cohort of whatevers, um, <laughs> I want to hmm. use too abusive a name to it, but those people actually, you know, participated in the network on a pari passu basis with everyone else. So in other words, I could go and rent GPUs, I could add it into the network, I could mine coins, and it was a fair a fair launch really of the network. I think it's brilliant. I think it's, this is the sort of stuff I like. I mean, it's, it's the pre-mined stuff can work with people with at least decent reputations. And, you know, like, you know, if you look at Look at some of the big projects we've had, Filecoin, Solana, you know, Render, et cetera. Th these are guys who, are, who haven't been in jail. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like you can trust the, the intentions there, right? The moment it's a pre-mine, it, it, to me, it'd be like, wait, this could be a pump and dump and we're all going to get rugged. And that would be my concern. So, so given, given the, just the background of the team, and I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about sort of the, the, the morality of it, not the intelligence of it, because they're obviously very smart guys. They know what they're doing. From a morality perspective, I would like to see them launch this thing and say, look, we're going to compete with everyone else. Here's the spec. The network goes live on this date. Anyone can use it. It's compute intensive. It needs GPUs. You can go and buy old Ethereum GPUs. You can plug them in. You can rent power from 
from render, whatever the case is, and you can mine on a pariposity base, everyone else, and we're just going to help maintain this network and, and, and build a token around it. That's the token version of it. On a non-token version basis, I don't know how they scale this because how do you get the distributed compute in the platform? So it's probably a compute play, um, but this is this cannot be a, a venture capital VC funded thing where they go raise money from Andreessen or whoever else. And, and they and, get to, like, I mean, what yeah. you're talking about here is everybody's starting at the same start line, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the VCs don't get to buy the coins at exactly. some fraction of a penny. Exactly. They just, just they drop them all at the, the same time in terms exactly. of fairness. Exactly. So you publish the white paper, the roadmap, and you tell everyone this is the spec. Everyone gets the same starting point. And if if Andreessen wants to go fund them to go mine coins faster than me or Jason or Sunny, good for them. But that's fair because it's all about it. now. Like, there's no pre mine. There's no right. we're holding this back. But that's also a regulation. Go ahead, Molly. Convicted felon. Like it. It can't well, be good. It can't be good for the industry when this is the guy who's like, oh yeah, I want to get in here. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I agree with that notion. That like you know, I, I think that the the the, the sort of veracity of the idea should stand on its own two feet, like separate from what he's done in the past. Like he, if Martin came up with like, hey, this is how you do fusion or something, or like mm-hmm. he solves a very tough problem in in the world, and just because he's a convicted fellow doesn't invalidate his idea, right? So like your past shouldn't invalidate science. Like, these are two separate things. You can have a really bad guy. Like, if I told you today Satoshi is a criminal behind bars, that doesn't invalidate Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a. I think it's an interesting question. Like, it's clearly not, to your point, a bad idea, even. But it's pretty hard to consistently separate the artist from the art in a case like this. Like, especially where you're talking about a project that is built on some level of trust fundamentally. But that's the whole point. It needs to be trustless. That's my argument. Mm. It needs to be, this is an open spec. If Big Pharma wants to use it, if there's demand for the compute power, if I'm adding compute power and getting tokens from it, my actions are independent of everyone else's. It's a coordination Mm -hmm. sort of rally point for everyone. There's no pre-mine. Me adding compute power to the network doesn't pump up Martin's bags of coins that he pre-mined before it went live. For me, that is the critical point. Okay. Interesting, yeah. It's interesting, Molly, when you think about it, because people do not want to put their reputation on the line with somebody like that, right? So like, they've basically been excluded from venture capital or funding because of the past, right? I mean, it would take pretty uh, strong conviction to give somebody right out of jail money. In a way, it's like crypto becomes this like, back to permissionless, like, okay, my reputation doesn't matter. It, it all... All that matters is people buy into my idea for, for better or worse. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is interesting that if you have a bad reputation, crypto becomes a platform where nobody can stop you from engaging in it. Well, I guess was, it, yeah, to follow that, up on point. your point just now, Vinny, like yeah. what is the chicken and egg part of that? Because I see what you're saying. It makes perfect sense that as it grows, it is trustless. So you don't have to worry that much about the origin story, if you will. But you do have to have buy-in in order to create this thing from the get-go, right? Well, the, buy- the buy-in is purely capitalistic for you, right? If I'm a big pharma company and yeah. there's this way of like uh, reducing the cost of new drug discovery and research, and I can produce it 90% cheaper than I can today using this network, and the network is very fair in terms of distribution of tokens or compute power or, or whatever... If I don't use it, 
and Sonny goes and starts up a biotech company and he comes and does drug discovery at one tenth the cost, he's going to kick my butt. And then for like, you basically, it's an economic discussion. Like this is the mm-hmm. whole point of like removing the people from the science, right? As long, and but this is why for me, it's very, very important that it's not a pre-mine where he owns some part of the network up uh, off the bat. This needs to be, if you, re- if he really believes in the idea, if he really believes in what he's building and like the good for humanity, it should, nobody should have an advantage over this. It should be open gate, open seasons for everyone. And if he winds up being the smallest stakeholder in the network after a year, that's his problem. But it, it shouldn't be where, you know, it's, it's a pump and dump that, that, that and that, so, for me, it's all about the science. Like, mm-hmm. if the science is good, it shouldn't matter who discovers. If someone's if someone discovers the cure for cancer and they're a convicted felon, mass murderer, whatever, it shouldn't invalidate the cure for cancer. You should still use the cure. <laughs> uh, to be clear, I'm not even trying to say that as like a morality or value judgment specifically, although punchable face for sure. What I primarily mean is. Given the opportunity to do business with Shkreli, I would 100% believe that there is a way that he is finding a way to screw me. Well, this is my point. If it's an open permissionless network, you're right. not doing business with Shkreli. But you're saying you do. if. Do we know that it is? Like, we well, know that's it's mine. Like, no, we it's know under construction. Things. Yeah. It's under construction. I'm, right. just giving, I'm just telling you how I would do it. So you're saying is, this is the universe in which you would be, you would yes. feel okay about it. Yes. It's and almost. Know what the actual, yeah. Open it, source it, code, open source everything, open spec, like, Anyone yeah. looking in can say this is a – and you know what? There are watchdogs out there, okay? The guys, like really smart comp sci guys are going to look at this and say, hang on, there's a catch. This is the catch. And it'll be exposed. And then no one will want to participate in the network. Mm-hmm. It would be as if like WordPress was – the WordPress open source project was the person who created it instead of being Matt Mullenweg, who's the nicest guy on the planet. What if it was like a serial killer? So yeah. like, literally, I'm just cr- doing an in- extreme case here. The serial killer creates the best publishing platform for the web, but it's completely open source and then people can use it and they have no control over it. But then you have to live with the fact that a serial killer made it. It's really like a great no, mind. No, no, but I don't even test. Mm-hmm. It only matters if he benefits directly from it in a disproportionate yeah, exactly. way. That's all I'm right? saying too. It's like, so, I don't so, have to so, like him. But Vinny is doing a great job of laying out the conditions under which you would be like, you yes. can't screw me here. Yes. And so this could be a good thing all in. Exactly. If this was yep. a company, I wouldn't touch it. Yep, if this was right. like Martin Scraley's new company, they're raising a seed round at a $500,000 pre-money valuation. It's free equity. You know, right. like, and he wouldn't no. be able to, I don't think. No, you know, like no, that, no, that's, no. The, that's the interesting part about it, isn't it, Sonny? Yeah. Is that yeah. like crypto and open source and the nature of this under the conditions that Vinny puts out would, would make it like possible for him to do that. If you're looking for highly qualified elite international developers, but you don't want to deal with the crazy time differences. I feel you. That's why I use developers who are in my time zone. And that's why you need to know about Ravello. Ravello is your answer. It's a talent platform and it matches you with vetted full-time remote developers in Latin America, which is where I have my developers. They work on U.S. time zones. So you're talking to them for 8, 9, 10 hours a day. And you can collaborate in real time, not play telephone. And you're going to spend less compared to hiring in the U.S. And I will tell you that the developers in Latin America are as good as the developers in America. You're going to get matched with your candidates in three days or less. They're going to handle the payroll, the taxes, the benefits, and more. You get to hire internationally without all the headaches. Ravello engineers are full-time and embedded in your team, just like normal employees, okay? And they're proficient. AWS, 
Rust, Ruby, React, Python, Node.js, all of the great technical platforms out there. They do. Here's your call to action. Go to Ravello.com slash twist and mention twist to get 20% off your first three months. Very significant when you think about it. R-E-V-E-L-O.com slash twist. They offer a 100% risk-free 14-day trial period. If you're not satisfied, you pay nothing. R-E-V-E-L-O.com slash twist. Have any of the other projects that do distributed compute hit any kind of scale? I remember there was the rendering one. I forgot the name of it. I know there's it's render re- it's coin. Called, it's called re- render. It's called render. render. Yeah. It's called render. There was, wasn't there another name though for another one that was doing like animation was, projects? That was render still. Like another that was one. Render. That, yeah, there's another one that has scale on the supply side is helium. And so what they, they have like a network of, uh, you know, 4G and 5G hotspots. And oh, that's right. been an interesting one. They have, I think, you know, any rate, 900,000 plus hotspots around the world now. So that's right. one that's really kind of taken off in, in, in a you know, similar file capacity. Coin, of course. So there's, Filecoin is a classic there's three one. of these. Has, have, have those three hit any kind of user adoption? So Filecoin, it- Filecoin has got scale, which I think people don't, uh, people don't appreciate how much scale Filecoin has per day. It's like... It's pretty big. Now, users are not using the stuff. Remember, this is a very low-level protocol. So the people using Filecoin are not, uh, you know, it's, it's not the end user. It's the, the services that are built on top of it. So you got things like estuary.tech and other services that, that build on top of Filecoin. Filecoin is the base layer infrastructure. Right now, Filecoin is storing, I need to double-check the latest numbers. It's got like 17 exabytes of storage capacity on the network and like, that's like 200 times Netflix's archive or 300 times. It's a huge amount of storage that Filecoin's got. And they're storing, um, I mean, there's 4,000 miners. I mean, I can look up the stats, but it's pretty big. And okay, but usage, yeah. maybe not there yet. So no, no, no still- usage is there. No, usage is there. Ah. So if you look at like, if you look at Arweave, Arweave stores about 70, I think it is 70 gigabytes a day. And I think uh, Filecoin stores like a terabyte a day. So it's like 17 hours a day. There's these like two interesting curves that come together on these, you know, JCal, which is uh, one is when they're early and like how much distribution do they have and how much can you trust? Like how much storage do they have? And then as they continue to grow, the centralized services initially have a lot of advantages because of their centralization. It's only when these things reach a certain scale that their price gets cheaper. So I think right now Filecoin's not cheaper than S3 or or Glacier. Probably Glacier is a better Ah. example. Right. And no, so, it's cheaper. It's cheaper than Glacier. It is cheaper than is Glacier. Is it cheaper than Glacier? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But um and, and so like there, but there's a point at which those things kind of cross over. And mm. then, you know, the other thing that factors into this sometimes is in we touched on it a little bit before, is when the, the token that represents its utility gets mixed into the speculation. And so that becomes problematic because where you know something is meant to power the economy just to drive the scaling of it, people start speculating on it. I think that breaks that breaks these things sometimes as well and so that's two curves that you really have to watch with these utility token based um services that are popping up all over the place yeah can the distributed one beat the centralized one in terms of cost and ease of use uh, and all of those things that consumers would care about you sent this link uh the mm-hmm. starboard link yeah so Vinny, here you you explain to us what we're seeing here so this is a dashboard for filecoin how much uh how many, how many deals we're getting per day in the network so in the past 24 hours, 1.4 petabytes of data was stored on the network. That's 1,400 terabytes every day. Look at the daily deal statistics. Like this is, this is not cumulative. This is per day. 
every day. Look at these numbers going up. So what is a deal in this context? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you said that. I'm like, what is a deal? A deal is basically a, a vendor asking a storage provider to store amount, an amount of data. Got it. So if I wanted to store the archives of This Week in Startups, 1500 episodes, I could do that on Filecoin Th and pay some amount. Yeah. And that would be a deal. And then I would yeah. pay in cryptocurrency or Filecoins to do that? You, you pay in Filecoins. So there's about... Every uh, month would I pay it or do I pay it one time? You, 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 pay, you pay for the period of time. Let's say you want to store it for 18 months. You, you have oh. a contract for 18 months and then they have to provide proofs that they're storing the data constantly. And then you can choose where, how many copies of it you want on the network. So if a provider wow. goes down, it's still there. Can I, I mean, make it public available to anybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can have public data. So Joe Rogan could put his whole archive up on Filecoin, make it publicly available oh, yeah. for anybody to download? Wikipedia runs on Filecoin. So what? Yeah. So that, so in, that. In, in, when Turkey, so when mm. Turkey won, wound up uh, banning Wikipedia, they moved it across to IPFS, which is built by Protocol Labs, and I think it's running on Filecoin now as well. But you, it's basically censorship resistant. You can access Filecoin anywhere in the world. You can't shut down the server for. Oh wow! For so maybe Wikipedia that we all go to is stored wherever they store it on regular servers. Exactly. But there's a backup copy mirrored on Filecoin. Think of it as a yeah, as, as a persistent cache everywhere that you can access. Wow. But I mean, so if you go, if anyone like viewers want to go check out dashboard.starboardventures, like this is one of these crypto projects that very clearly, I mean, like 16 exabytes of storage capacity on this network is mind boggling. I mean, Netflix, I think, has got not even an exabyte, and I think, Sunny, what do you think Netflix is sitting on? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think close to probably one. It, Maybe it, one. It's, yeah, it's tough to compare because it's providing storage for everyone. But I, you know, yeah. probably better comparison is like S3 or Glacier or something. Is there a point in time where a Netflix could conceivably use this? They could use it right now. Well, and, 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 I, I, what I mean, you know. I mean, not technically they can, but. Could they practically, with the number of users yeah. they have, with the network support it, you think? Yeah, eventually. That, that's the whole point, right? Distributed storage at scale. Uh, they have to, there's wow. a retrieval market that's coming soon. Um, you know, the idea is that you can, like, look, the cost of moving data from one place to another is pretty high, right? So if you have localized storage in a certain, if you want to store local videos for South Africa in a, with a South African provider, that's a lot more efficient than storing it in with a CDN in UK and then streaming it across to the local provider. And you can actually get it very granular. You can get it down to someone in Johannesburg storing the data, and then you pay them for streaming or whatever it is, uh, delivering it. It's going to get there. We're not there yet. We're probably three years away from that sort of thing or five years away. All right. But this is super impressive. When, and when you yeah. say it's censorship resistant and censorship proof, it's because it's distributed compute. It's like the SETI of storage. Yes. Bang on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there are 4,000 providers worldwide currently in the next, you know, and if the price of Filecoin rises, so let's go, it's like six bucks right now. Let's say it goes to back up to a hundred bucks or 50 bucks. That 4,000 is going to go up to 7,000, 10,000, more and more providers worldwide because there's more revenue in the network. There's more value in the coin. And so to mine those coins, the same way you mine Bitcoin, more providers will come on the network. So the issue that Filecoin has right now is it actually has, I'd say too much storage right now, 16 mm -hmm. exabytes. But if you look at how much storage the world needs over the next 10 years, that's nothing. So there's going to be this point in time where there's a flip over. We don't know when it is. It could be three months, six months, two years, where Filecoin becomes the most valuable decentralized global storage platform. And 
the key, the key think about like the way I look at Filecoin in a very simplistic way is Filecoin is the Amazon storage infrastructure, the software for that, but everyone runs their own hardware. So right now, Amazon has a centralized data center and they've built all this all the software at, you know from a very low level to abstracted all the way to the front end for developers to store data. But Amazon owns the stack. They own the hardware and they own the software. Filecoin is basically, here's the software and you can go plug in your own data and create your own data centers, pay for your own electricity, your storage, your security, and people can store wherever you are and we'll give you software to run it. So it's kind of like a, it's like, it's like hotels and hotel software. That's a, yeah, well, mm-hmm. and, and the way I kind of think about these things, um, you know, it's like building off like Jeevan's paradox, right? If you're familiar with that, it's like the more of a, you know, kind of a, it's something you make available, more people will consume it. So mm-hmm. then, you know, Airbnb and hotels, like one didn't wipe out the other one. There just became more use of, of people wanting to do like u- use of that utility. And I think we're seeing a lot of another great one, you know, as we're talking about things is Hive Mapper. I don't know if you're following that one. No. And what you know, they're basically building like a, and maybe Nick can pull it up. It's like a decentralized Google Maps with the street views that everyone can use. So it's not owned by one company. Everyone can contribute to it. And so it's really, really, that, that, that's another one that's kind of out there that you can imagine if you're building anything that's location-based or something like that, you don't want to be at the mercy of Google as the only person you can get this data from. Um, it's, it's super powerful. So with HiveMapper, you put a camera on your dashboard and you drive around and then you contribute to it and get paid a token? Yep. Is what's called honey. That's their token. Huh. Yeah. And basically you contribute to this decentralized Google Street View, which, you know, it's an awesome thing. It's like everyone owns it and everyone can can use it. But they're making the hardware. So they're the the actual yep. hardware, you you have to buy it to then contribute mm-hmm. to it. Versus so you'd have, have to buy a server. So but pretty good price, yeah. Hopefully it does pay off for you to do that. That's actually a brilliant idea as well. Yeah. But that's this is happened. helium did the same thing. And that's uh, it's kind of the helium model. Yep. The thing about the helium, though, I saw a tweet that went viral. Uh, this is from this guy, Leron Shapira. Yes. So this guy, Le- Leron Shapira, is a bit of a, I don't want to say troll, but he's pretty critical all the time. He was ripping a bunch of clips from the different pods, and I had to tell him, like, hey, pump the brakes. You can't take <laughs> the show every week. And then, yeah, so I stopped him from doing that. But he says here, Helium, often cited as one of the best examples of a Web3 use case, has received $365 million in investment led by A16Z. Regular folks have been convinced to spend $250 million buying hotspot nodes in the hopes of earning passive income. The result, Helium's total revenue is six point five k a month. I don't know if that's true or not. What yeah. do you think of that critique? Uh, we can double check it, but I think one of the things that's happened here is, you know, this is one where the supply and demand curve didn't match, and the utility of of a wireless network is tougher than something say like a file coin, because if you're going, if you're, let's say you're a company, whether you're a scooter company or an automotive company that says, Hey, you know what? I want a lower cost alternative. I need some constant connectivity. I don't want to be um, sort of tied to the big networks. That's a great concept that you'll get this distributed network to do it, but you can't really make that switch over if you don't have a hundred percent coverage. So this, this ha- adds like an extra dimension to like a SETI at home or a file coin where you have the dimension of location. So in order for this to work, they need like a really highly distributed network. And you can imagine where these nodes pop up. They pop up in a very kind of clustered way where, you know, you could see, you know, huge, huge clusters in the East Coast and the West Coast and not coverage anywhere else. And then that makes it much harder for, say, a company to 
jump on this network and start consuming it with that sort of odd distribution. And that's something that these projects sort of have to balance out. And the other thing which we were just mentioning earlier, when the utility token becomes a speculating token, then a lot of times, and in this case, you know, people were buying the hardware to mine the token. So you end up with lots and lots of supply because people are speculating on the token and you're not, you don't have the appropriate demand coming in on the other side. If you're running a startup, you know that every little bit of help counts between running your team, building the product, getting compliant, hiring people, studying customer support, everything. It's overwhelming. I know that. I work with y'all every day. But the Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub is here to help you. They're going to help you build a better startup from day one, whether you're plugged into Silicon Valley or not. The Microsoft for Startup Founders Hub is a digital platform created by founders for founders, and they give you amazing benefits. The first one right off the bat, unbelievable, up to $150,000 in Azure credits, and then one to one technical advisory on scalability, best practices, security, your tech stack, all that stuff. And you get access to a huge mentor network, plus free dev tools, like GitHub Enterprise access to partners like OpenAI, Bubble and others free Microsoft software, including Outlook and Teams, and much, much more. The program is open to everyone. There's no fundraising requirements. You don't need to know somebody. They want to support all founders. It takes just five minutes to apply, and startups get all these massive benefits immediately. So learn more and sign up for Microsoft for Startups Founders Hub today. At, you're going to write this down right now. Stop what you're doing. Get a pen, get a paper, aka.ms slash This Week in Startups. That's simple. AKA dot ms slash this week in startups yeah we talked about this a little bit yesterday and we'll talk a little bit more about the sec in a minute but um this idea that once you that basically like once you start to financialize a product yeah. before it actually has value you've sort of inverted the process right it should yes. have built value and then maybe you build some financial instruments on top of it to make it more valuable but it's this kind of inversion that seems to be, you know, muddying the waters, I guess is the best way to put it about the industry for people right now. The issue that crypto struggles with is that everything is subscale in terms of market depth and liquidity. So mm -hmm. when you have, when you have like any of these projects that come out there and everyone sort of piles in to start mining or adding coins, the moment that you get to a point where there's just no bids, like people just dump the stuff. And, and so there's, there's this interesting view I've got on crypto, which I've, I think it's, it's, it's definitely, developed over time. I mean, Bitcoin has the, the deepest liquidity pool by far. And then second is Ethereum. And then over time, you're going to see more pop up with deep liquidity pools. The, the real issue is the rate of inflation at the beginning and then how it declines over time. And there's a lot of players. Actually, the best way to make money, quite frankly, is to ob the intermediate step. Okay. And so that intermediate step is what we saw in Bitcoin in the first eight years, where there's this, you know, the, before the halvings came along, every time there was a huge spike in Bitcoin, people just dumped it and they dumped it down and they made their profits. They short, they shorted the market. But eventually the inflation like tapered out at like whatever, 4% right now. And you can't, you just can't do that anymore. It doesn't work. Bitcoin, you know, it's down from 60K down to 20. It's not down to three. <laughs> you know, it's it, it like, it, it's got a new high, a higher high every single time or, or, or and you're higher, saying the liquidity in plain English means a lot of participants. When a you get a lot of participants, the volatility comes out. Yeah. So things like, let's talk about Filecoin for a second. Filecoin pumped like to 230 bucks at one point because it was a low liquidity and everyone started mining the coins. So you had, you know, 
exabytes of data come, storage coming in the network. Miners are borrowing coins to stake and whatever else. And they went through the cycle and then they, they mine these coins out. The Filecoin inflation on day one. So it was 15 million coins were re- released by the time the network went from testnet to mainnet. Um, yeah, there you go. And so there was this huge pump. But, but, but go and look at the market cap. So that's price. Now look at market cap. So the market cap went up to 10 billion and then it started going all the way back down to where it is right now. So that's 1.7 billion market cap. Now go and check where the, the price right now is at, at 630. Okay. Yeah. And look at what it was at the previous market cap at the start of the year. So at six bucks last time. You're saying when was it last six bucks? So around, uh, uh, not even there, but like a little further back, because only when it listed, when it listed, it was like twenty bucks. So got it. it. So the market cap has changed dramatically because the inflation has gone from fifteen million coins to, to like three hundred million in the past two years. So what you see, it's hard to overlay. You have to probably have two screens to show it. But the the point I'm trying to make really is the the liquidity of Filecoin has actually been increased dramatically. We've gone from fifteen million coins to like nearly 300 million coins in the float, the market cap is sitting at 1.8 billion. It was a lot higher, but now the inflation has gone. Like, like, so the inflation from 15 to 300 million is like, you know, 20X. It's the same when Bitcoin had its first million coins. We're now on coin number 19 million or something in Bitcoin. It's had 19 times expansion. Filecoin's just gone through that same phase in two years. And now Filecoin's inflation is like 20% a year and dropping dramatically because it's just the law. It's the law of large numbers combined with the actual caps of crypto coins. So you have this like this, this evening out and now you can't really dump it as some, as easily because you can't mine it as fast. And so the people who are holding it long term, I think have much better returns. But the problem that all these crypto projects have is you have this gap and sometimes it's three years, sometimes it's eight years between where it initially starts and, and so call it like, um, some sort of terminal inflation or terminal inflection point where inflation drops to a reasonable level, like 20%, 10% a year, whatever it is. And, and so uh, there's a lot of arbitrages out there, guys who are mining in China or wherever, where they don't care about the project. They, see, most of the miners don't actually, they don't care about what, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or Filecoin. They just want to arb the, the, the so, so the, the way the arbitrage works is this. The coin pumps up to like 60 bucks. They short it. They borrow. They pay some interest rate, 20%. They short the coin. They buy the hardware. They mine it. And they got locked in guaranteed profits because they know the mining costs are a fraction of what they shorted it at. So so that's why crypto, by and large, looks like a pump and dump across the board for most projects. And most projects, there are a pump and dump. Hmm. But for the really good projects, once the liquidity pools deepen, it's exactly like that's not the case. So you're saying I should J-Trade Filecoin right now? <laughs> well, I mean, Fal- Falcoin's one. Solana's another one. He's got you know, the glasses ready. He's ready yeah. to go. He will, make a, he will trade. make a trade. What, what's your take on that, uh, Sunny? It, th- this rings true to what Vinny's saying is that as the l- the percentage of new coins generated every year starts to fall down to 10% of the total float, the total number available, you start to get the stability and you have a, a deeper liquidity pool? Yes, you do. But I'll just go back to what Molly said. I think if if the things are financialized before there's like product market fit, all of that will just kind of fuel speculation rather than actual utility. And I just think back to, you know, startups for the longest time, we in the financial markets gave them the flexibility to not worry about, you know, financial returns, you know, profits or anything like that, as long as they were searching for product market fit and growing. I think here when that gets inversed, and people are starting to trade on it, 
all of these, you know, financial mechanisms that, you know, Vinny's touching on that you're touching on come into play, whether you have deep liquidity of a project or not, but if it doesn't, it hasn't kind of found its core, core actual utility to folk or its service, I think you're in a really, really dangerous spot with these projects. Be like founders selling Molly their equity in a startup before they have product market fit. Right. Which is the exact same thing. Has happened. It's the exact same thing. Uh, And it always winds up, as my grandmother would say, it's going to, it's going to end in tears. Right. Because then it's gambling chips, right? It's not a, it's just chips and there's no cash in the back room, let's say. Well, Well, so, but also you're not, you know, the other thing, Molly, now you bring it up, you, you think about the distraction level of, you know, extreme wealth or quick wealth or quick money. It's very distraction distracting. Well, you know, mm-hmm. what I see when founders are able to liquidate and um, people are talking about like, hey, how much secondary should we allow the founders to take? How many should we buy from them? There's this like very thoughtful conversation in in the best cases where they say $25 million is going to make this founder start looking at planes and second homes, but $2 million or $4 million are going to pay their taxes. They're going to have one to two or $3 million left. They're going to pay down their mortgage or have some money for their kids 529 it's completely different, right? And I think we've all seen that up close and personal, unfortunately, is that these big checks can really distract a founder. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, a prototype, or a marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people who you want to reach most, your customers. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from your customer's perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. And unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast. You'll get responses in real time and at the speed your business demands. So get insights into what's working and what's not so you can adjust your message, refine your user interface and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service or brand. The result, you'll feel what your customer feels so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twist. Usertesting.com slash twist. User testing, real human insight. I want to ask you guys about the Ethereum merge because that was a big, that's a big topic on your list and it's a big topic in general. It seemed like it was maybe going to happen on August 15th. Now it's sort of tentatively scheduled to happen September 15th. It's interesting for a lot of reasons. One is the goal, it sounds like, of this merge is to make Ethereum less harmful to the environment, which is near and dear to my heart. Also, though, provide additional security to its network and faster transaction speeds when the Ethereum network switches from proof of work to proof of stake. Can one of Sunny, you're nodding, so I'm going to call on you. Like, can you sort of explain to us what this merge is about and like why it's such a big deal? Because it sounds like people have been snapping up Ethereum ahead of this event. Yeah, in in, in the, I'll just try to distill it to like its simplest form. Like, I think what it will do, like one, you said, it's reduce its like computational intensity for you know making the transactions like cemented into the blockchain. But more importantly, it, it reduces the costs. And one of the things that we've seen in the last few years, especially as the price of Ethereum and the whole, you know, crypto markets were really kind of pumping up, is that things became quite expensive. So, you know, these, this notion of gas fees and the transaction cost to, to do anything on the blockchain became quite expensive. And so from there, you know, we saw a few different things happen. We saw 
a lot of like new L2s emerge for Ethereum, trying to compete to solve that problem. I think what this will do is it'll actually push back innovation into Ethereum. And that's why there's the excitement and that, you know, people were going to Avalanche or Polygon or, and they'll continue to do that for specific use cases. But I think this allows more innovation to come back into Ethereum, which is why I'm excited about the merge and that, that coming to reality. Yeah, the gas fees got too big, right? Well, yeah, it's funny because the chat now is going crazy being like, nope, does not provide extra security. It's a consensus layer change. Gas fees will stay the same. Help us understand like concretely how it will create extra innovation. Well, like I, I, I tend to disagree. I think I mean, the I gas, know, right? Yeah, everybody's uh, just yeah, yell yeah. at each other because internet. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't mean to facilitate that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I think uh, basically by lowering sort of the compute uh, intensity required for that consensus layer to solve those problems, the gas fees come down, right? It's right. A, so sort of everything boils down. Let's we all go to first principles, right? You make it simpler, it's less compute intensive to do something, it's going to cost less money, right? We don't have to get into the, you know, the code by code, what's happening there. But I think we'll start to see that happen. Vinny, uh, are we supposed to be buying Ethereum now? Um, I you would like, be... don't seem that interested. You're like, eh, it's fine. No, it's, it's not that. I, I think there's a substantial amount of risks in this merge that's underpriced by the market. I think that my price target for Ethereum is around 2000 pre-merge. So I think it rallies to 2000 and then I think that if it goes well, it pumps to 2,500, 3,000. And if it goes badly, it dumps to 1,000. I think 2,000 is kind of my like equilibrium point. So at, at the 1,600 level, you're gonna see, I think you're going to see another surge going to 2,000. But I'm, I'm, I'm betting on that. I don't think that we have a lot of steam in it. Like The merge has been so overhyped already for so long. I don't think you have enough momentum for a 3,000 run pre-merge. I think if everything goes well and... Like there's a lot of arguments for ESG investors sort of coming into Ethereum that couldn't go into Ethereum pre-merge. They can go buy it post-merge um, because now it's more environmentally friendly and it's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But that's assuming things go out. I mean, there's going to be a fork. We know this. There's going to be a proof of work fork that goes right. off and does their own thing. There's a little bit of ton of confusion. You know, Anatoly was on a pod, he was on a, a podcast with me the other day and uh, he said something which I think is, is, is very fair is that the surface area for attack on Ethereum is very large. And so it's very hard to say that this thing is entirely safe. Now they've done it. Like, think about it this way, okay? If you're if you're a, a hacker or you're trying to do some nefarious activity, are you going to expose some vulnerability that you know during the test net merges, or are you going to just hold back and wait until it goes to mainnet and then you know claim your victim, right? Right. The test you're never going to. I mean, you're, you're never going to release a, a, like a zero day vulnerability on a test net. You just keep quiet. And you wait yeah. until until hmm. the final merge is complete. And that's, and this that's is where, the risk. This is where we should explain that this switch from proof of work to proof of stake, for those who don't know, is a switch in the way that these in the way that basically miners are compensated. Proof of work uses a lot more energy. Uh, as we know, there's there are reports that this this merge, if Ethereum switches fully to proof of stake, could cut electricity use by 99%, but is much less tested to your point, Vinny, right? Like we just don't know if this will be as bulletproof and as hard to hack. And so you're we saying there are plenty of people out there who are probably just like, I know exactly how to bust into the system the second you make the switch, which is why there are mm. some miners saying that they might, this is where the fork idea comes in. Some miners are saying like, we're just going to stick to proof of work. Like we're going to yeah. keep doing well, our thing that's over a little here. But it's, it's, a, it's a law of unintended consequences as well. Like we don't know what, 
I mean, I think Anatoly is just a really smart guy who understands. Anatoly, the bit, Solana uh, founder. From, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, you know, like, you know, understands it better than me and anyone else. And his point stuck with me where he was just basically saying the surface area is very big. It's, it's a non-zero chance. It's not like no one can go out there and say there's a 0% chance of something going wrong. Like hmm. the smartest people in the world cannot say. Sure. So if when it's not 0%. When is this 0%, exactly happening? Uh, 15th of September. Roughly. 15th oh, wow. of September, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. So we'll definitely keep track why of that. Was okay. it, why was it variable? There was some. No, was because that just they the kept, community they being kept, like, we're not ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's no, it just amazing like that an open source project can coordinate such a big change. I mean, that's, to me, the fascinating part about this. With so much money on the line, I mean, it is pretty extraordinary. Like, uh, we're talking about billions of dollars are at stake here, and they're making the switch, and nobody's in charge. You know, like, well, so, so here's, it's the, here's like the a the database issue. merge, or a day, it's like... <laughs> <God>. Yes, <laughs> like, there's a couple of issues here. Like, for example... Can you imagine Jason and I signed a contract and I I, I promised to pay him uh, you know $10,000 in USDC you know for uh, on a contract and now the merge happens and now there's is USDC on on Ethereum proof of work and Ethereum proof of stake and I give him $10,000 worth of useless tokens 10,000 useless coins cuz the one chain is you know circle says we're not honoring the USDC on that chain but we're honoring on, on another chain or you have like you can have these weird anomalies happen where even a, an like NFT. It would be like a great time to just get off the chain, get into fiat, and wait. Go it to out. Solana. <laughs> well, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. Friday, SEC Chair Gary Gensler, mm -hmm. I know crypto's favorite person, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal where he indicated that a lot of DeFi products might actually be securities. There is no reason to treat. There's a quote from Gary the double G, there is no reason to treat the crypto market differently from the rest of the capital markets just because it uses different technology. Across the decades of cases, the Supreme Court has made clear that economic realities of a product, not the labels, determine whether it's a security under the securities laws. That BlockFi had borrowed crypto wasn't the issue here. In fact, you could replace crypto with any other asset. The issue is what it did with the borrowed assets and what it didn't do as a firm provide the required disclosures to investors. He continued compliance with our laws, protects the investing public. Unfortunately, some platforms that offer crypto lending aren't complying with the applicable requirements. Sonny, what's your take on yeah. his piece? What's fair and what's unfair? Yeah, I, I had a long chat with someone about this yesterday, and I, I think it, it's kind of two, I break it into two areas. If you are a crypto project trying to, in any way, shape, or form, replace what you know traditional banks do in our financial ecosystem, you are really going to be impacted by the statements that he made. Because whether you're lending, you're um, you're you know giving people interest, you know use different words, whatever you want, or anything that looks like what a traditional bank does, you are going to be under the purview of the SEC. And I think there's lots of projects across all different elements. It could be exchanges, they could be coins, they could be all over the place. So I think for, you know, using that lens as, as a, you know, say a consumer buying these things or an investor putting money into these things, those folks are going to become highly regulated because they're doing what banks do and banks are regulated and banks are going to make noise on the other end and say, hey, we're, why are we subject to all these rules and why aren't these folks? I think on the flip side, if you're like an NFT project for like some of the things we were talking about before, you're not really replacing what a bank does. 
you're probably on the outside of this. That That's the way I'm kind of translating it right now. And I think that's where a lot of the noise is coming from. And if you look specific to what he talked about with BlockFi and what they were doing, it was very much bank centric. So that's my view on how this is um, coming up. Did the op-ed read to you, like Gensler was saying to these, let's say these exchanges are like BlockFi, right? Like you should have known. You should have, which I, I think we have said many times on the show, that's true. Your, your, you know, security like product looks like a duck, walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. So it's probably security. But is it a little weird that he seems to be coming along saying like, after the fact, we're going to tell you, you should have been complying with these rules all along. Or is it fair to say like, you guys knew you were setting up a, a basically a parallel, you know, investment banking system. And of course, this was always going to happen. I think these are like the ebbs and flows of innovation, right? Even last time we talked, if you look, go back to 2000 and the dot-com bubble, right? Look at all the rules that we had to bring into place just around regulation of stocks or what companies could do to IPO. And mm -hmm. so these are the ebbs and flows of innovation, right? Something gets ahead of it, then the government has to come in because a bunch of people get hurt, which, you know, is really terrible. And the government has to step in and fix it. So I think, I, you know, it is probably a little bit backwards looking saying you should have known, but I, I feel like those were the same comments that led to Sarbanes-Oxley and all that kind of stuff saying, well, hey, you know, we shouldn't let companies, you know, create sub companies and then price them themselves and use that to, to basically pump up their stock. Uh, you should have known better, right? This feel, feels like well, the, you know, he what does, your parents tell you. He does, yeah. Molly, have like a reconciliatory, reconciliatory, is that a conciliatory? regulatory uh, approach here at the end, which he says, <laughs> fortunately, there is a path forward. I encourage platforms offering crypto lending to come in and talk to SEC staff. Getting these platforms into compliance with the securities laws will benefit investors in crypto market. In the meantime, the SEC will serve us cop on the beat. As with seatbelts and cars, we need to ensure that investor protections come standard in the crypto market. So it does seem like he knew that he was saber rattling and that he wants to saber rattle people you know, down a certain path was my take on it, Vinny. What do you think? Look, the, 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 the big issue here is that regulators don't move at the same speed as crypto. <laughs> Not even close. So it's, it's, it's called always like, it's trying to, you know, catch, catch the, the horse after it's left the stable type of thing. And, and it's, it's, it's a constant game of like, I mean, three years ago, I could have told you this is going to, I mean, I've, I've even sent you the clips. Like this is, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I already said this years ago. This is what's going to happen. And the the, the issue, I, I, I guess, is when you're on the ground. So at Civic, we we tried actually integrating with our, when we launched our wallet a couple of years ago, which wound up not, we couldn't make it work because of Ethereum gas fees eventually. We tried actually integrating directly with these DeFi protocols. We spoke to Celsius. We spoke to Cred, a couple of others. We wound up not launching the product for one simple reason. None of them could guarantee us that the funds would be available when there's a withdrawal by our users because they were rehypothecating funds, earning interest, and we thought they were taking undue amounts of risk and not disclosing it to their users. And we didn't like it. We didn't launch the product. We had so much work gone into it, and we couldn't find any one of these deep providers who could give us any assurances that our users wouldn't lose their money. So we never did it. And right. we, and, you know, like I've got probably the email threads with Celsius and a whole bunch of others. We had all these calls. And I'm looking at this and we're looking at two years ago, like we're probably going to miss the boat as a company on DeFi. And we did um, because we just, we, we, you know, I, like I have my reputation to uphold. <laughs> you know, I don't want to have like, hey, I want to be like Celsius. Like, hey, we just lost all this money for our users. And, you know, Vinny, I trusted you with all my Bitcoin and now it's gone, <laughs> you know, in your wallet and it's locked up in Celsius. Like we couldn't have that happen. So we didn't do the product. 
Very simple. Wow. And then, then I watched BlockFi and all these other guys take off and I was like, I'm an idiot. I should have done this. You know, because like, <laughs> like, you know, you feel bad at the time. And I'm like, well, then, you know, you sit back and you go, oh boy, I hope this doesn't end badly. And then as it gets closer to ending, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to end badly. This is what happens when you have to make hard decisions about doing things correctly and doing yeah. things right, mm-hmm. being good to your user base and... And you know, sleeping innovating. well at night, Jason. Sleeping yes. well at night. Like, yes. like I don't want to wind up in jail. Right. No, <laughs> you, know? no like, you don't. Like, it's not, not like uh, someone made You would not do well in jail, Vinny. No, I wouldn't. You know, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> not do well in jail. <laughs> so, I someone just, put out, someone sure put out a tweet. a nice jail. <laughs> no. But like, someone put a tweet out the other day and they were like, they get, you know, they replied to one of my tweets and they were like, Oh, you know, I can't remember what they said, but there was something along the lines of like, I've only made money in crypto, so whatever. And I'm like, you realize like, I only go into crypto after like selling companies and but like, yeah, crypto yeah. was like the latter part of my career, right? right. Lightning mm-hmm. round. Here we go. Rari <laughs> tribe mess. What is this? This was a project that, um, you know, had a, had a failure and they had kind of, uh, and this kind of shows like sometimes these DAOs, right? Uh, what we all expect, you know, you guys have talked about it separately. These DAOs are meant to be organizations where, you know, it seems open. We talked about it even in the beginning, right? And uh, this group had kind of promised uh, the holders of their token, the returns of some of the assets from, from the treasury. And then they basically just backed out of it. And, and they said, well, you know what, forget that vote. We're going to just take a different decision. And so this is kind of one of the, the kind of scary things of crypto is that we look at these uh, structures and organizations say, oh, it's meant to be idealistic, but we see them fall back into place that we've seen it before. So that's a scary one where we've not seen the DAO structures work the way we anticipated them to work. Mm. Uh, somebody can just run off with the bag and say, yeah. we changed our mind. Mm-hmm. We changed our mind. We, we didn't like the way that vote landed. Let's do something else. And it, 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 was, it was all triggered by a hack, right? That's what ah. led to sort of all this happening. And mm-hmm. but, so it's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Can I make one more comment on the ETH merge thing? Because I was just I sure. was reading through the comments as Molly brought it up, and there's a lot of a lot of interest there. Mm-hmm. In terms of gas fees, yeah, the merge doesn't lead to it in like the first phase, but the merge sets up ETH for like a whole bunch of new features. Like one of them is like called sharding that leads to ability to have more transactions per second, which will then lead to lower gas fees. So just for hopefully that calms yeah, folks yeah, down in the chat. Gotcha. Shard right. the old database. Oh, nothing ever will. Yeah, but thank you. Uh, pseudo thank you. swap. What's the story there? Or blue chip NFT price drops? What are those? Let's do blue chips first. Vinny, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, this well, weirdly I, seems yeah. related to the Ethereum yeah. merge, right? People are all of a sudden buying tons of Ethereum, but not NFTs. And now even Bored Ape and Cyberpunks are... That was, that's the technical term for the prices dropping, by the way. A fart noise. <laughs> Just a child. <laughs> There's a DAO <laughs> called Ben DAO. And... So Ben DAO is a DAO that you go to, and if you own an ape, you can borrow money against your ape. When bought apes are trading at, I don't know, hundreds of ETH each, and you go to Ben DAO and you put your ape in, you could borrow like, you know, 100 ETH, 200 ETH, whatever it is, convert it to dollars, uh, USDC, and you can do, you know, you could basically spend that money. And, and so you have all this wealth that was created, all these bought ape holders, and they lever, they levered up. Guys, like, if anyone is listening to this call, the one thing I do not, like, I recommend people do not do is add leverage to crypto. Okay. <laughs> Volatile <laughs> enough? Yeah. yeah. Crypto and is leverage in itself. Would you like some kerosene <laughs> on top of your gasoline? No? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's it's just, you just don't do it. Okay? Just yeah. don't do it. Anyway, so they so they go lever up. They go put their asset down there. If you need money, sell your board ape. Okay? If you need the money, sell your assets. 
lever up like the, the the most you should do is like one or two percent if you need some leverage that's it like you should not be doing 20 30 percent on any asset anyway long story short is a lot of these apes that the price have come down so much that these there's a margin call that's about to happen and and because the floor is dropping there's a liquidation event that can happen so if it drops a certain point, there's going to be hundreds of apes sold at the floor prices to get the money back for the people lending to the DAO. That's going to crash the price of AIDS. Then you have a, you know, you have a downward spiral, you have a cascade and it, you know, that's what happened with Bitcoin, right? People yeah, were exactly. margined at 60 K because they're like, I bought my Bitcoin at 30 K. It's at 60 K. I'll take half the money and spend it. It's house's money. What they don't realize is when they hit that 32 K or whatever, they get liquidated to pay back people. Now they have nothing. So, so this is this is the issue now. Everyone, the issue everyone is struggling with is the, the people who in every cycle you get. The, so they get. The, let's say I came in cycle number two in Bitcoin, like 2013, 14. Then you had cycle number three, which is like 2017. Cycle number four, which is this re- recent one. Every cycle, the people from the previous cycle learn not to use leverage. The people from the new cycle don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, all yep. these board ape people are all a bunch of crypto noobs that are just using. And so the next cycle, once they get liquidated and they lose their apes, the next cycle, they'll be a bit more conservative. And hopefully over time as a global community, we get smarter about using leverage of crypto. But for now, that's the problem is that this leverage. And so the floors keep dropping because everyone's waiting for the liquidation. Like if you have a board ape, what do you do? You probably sell it now. You drop the floor a lot more and you wait for it to collapse so you can buy it back cheaper. All right, everybody. This has been an amazing crypto roundtable. We'll do another one in two weeks. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Sundeep, aka Sunny Madra. Sunny, give a shout out to your company. Uh, I know that the last time you got a couple of new customers. Tell everybody what the company is. Yeah, we uh, Definitive Intelligence, Definitive I- IO. Uh, we basically focus on helping Web3 teams uh, understand users and grow their user base. And so if you have a project and you're going back to what we were talking about earlier and you really want to drive actual function and services and, and uh, maybe even a good from your project, come talk to us and we'll, we'll help you grow your user base. All right. Shout out, Sonny. I'm an investor. Okay. And uh, Vinny? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on two things really is one is civic.me. You can check it out. It's an explorer for your NFTs. And we've got some really cool features coming to protect your NFTs. It focuses more on Solana right now, but you can do Ethereum as well. And then I'm working on waitroom.com, which is a uh, yes. video conferencing platform. It's yeah, uh, can't really cool for, it. yeah, which rapid Gary, fire conversations. Gary Gensler should get on waitlist and then yeah, use that. He can take all these crypto thinking. questions. Yeah. And then he can Come take all in. these crypto questions about compliance. Boom. We fixed uh, it. Virtual virtual press conference is the perfect use case. You get like 30 journalists, give them two minutes each, you go online, and there's a clock that counts down and the next person goes in. So, you know, we'd love people to try it out. It's still very new, early tech, but it's, oh, it's looking pretty cool. Give some feedback. It's in beta. All yeah. right, everybody, we'll wait see room, you next wait time. Wait I said wait list, but it's not. Wait room. Wait room. Wait room. Yeah. Thanks, we'll guys. see everybody. See you next, next time. time. Bye-bye.